Hi, how are you? Listen, will you do me a great big favor? You're going to just, um, I mean, this is a place of place within the Word of God. Turn with me, please. If you've been with us, you know. We're in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation. If you are visiting, we've been studying through this great and marvelous book, and we've come to another place that is a pause within the Word of God. Rightfully speaking, we finished chapter 16 last week. And in chapter 16, in the 17th verse, an angel, from when he threw out the last bowl, judgment upon this earth, there came a loud voice from the throne of heaven, and it says, It is done. In other words, it is over with. The judgment that has fallen upon this earth is done with, as far as the wrath of God. Now will come judgment. will come sending Satan, his demons, and those who have rejected Jesus Christ into the abyss. But at this point in time, it was done. And normally what would have taken place chronologically would jump to chapter 19. As a matter of fact, it was what Anthony read to us just a moment ago in, um, in the music portion of our worship time. Take a look at chapter 19 again. In verse 1, it says, After these things, well, these things were the events that happened in chapter 16, where it said that, that it is done, the, the, the wrath of God is done upon the earth, it is over with. Then John writes, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Praise you, Yahweh. Hallelujah. Salvation, glory, power belongs to our God because His judgments are true. His, His righteousness. For He has judged the great harlot. Well, today we're going to learn out who is and what is this great harlot. Because all of a sudden, in chapter 17, God pauses to explain to systems within within the church or not excuse me that's not true not within the church within the the world in which we live the the one system is the religious system it is the false worship of false gods he brings that into focus in chapter 17 and in chapter 18 he's going to bring into focus the political and economic system in which we live in this day and he's going to show us how perils these things are, how terrible they are, and we need to reject everything and anything that would move us away from our simplistic and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And so God in his wisdom pauses and takes a time to explain. Look at chapter 17 verse 5. There's a mystery. Written on her forehead a name was written a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. God is going to explain through John what this means. What is this spirit of Babylon? What is this mother of harlots and this abomination of the earth? And what does it mean to us? It is critical for us today to understand what is meant by verse 5. In fact, every pastor in the United States of America and across the world ought to make sure that the congregation that comes to church understands chapter 17. Because we are being tossed in turn by every type of philosophy and every wave of doctrine that tries to move us away from our pure and simplistic devotion to Jesus Christ and to move us into what is called being a harlot, what is called um, an abomination upon this earth, this spirit of 
Babylon. And so I want to try to explain that to you today. So I want you to read with me in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, and let John explain through the very Spirit of God what this means to you and me. It is critical that we understand, and it is a marvelous place within the Word of God. It says concerning John, one in verse 1, one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came to John and spoke with him, saying, Come here. I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And then John says he was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness, and he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Then he says in verse 4, The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet. She was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, John says, I wondered greatly. Well, we're not going to have to wonder anymore. Our Lord's going to explain to us what is meant by these verses and why it is critical for you and me as we live here today. In this time of our lives, why it is critical for us to understand who this harlot is or what does this harlot mean, what are these immoralities, and how can we not be an abomination on this earth. It is as clear as could be. And I pray, let, in fact, I'm going to pray with you right now that God will move me out of the way, that you would really comprehend what he is saying to the church, to us, to to people today in this world in which we live, that they might understand the wonders of this, this, this God that we have had the privilege of singing to and praising and, and actually knowing, and He knowing us. It is beyond anything that you and I could ever hope or dream for. And there are so many people that are just wondering, how do you know Him? What can I, what can I do to know Him? What does it mean to know Him? And, and it's clear, it is clear. Today we are going to have a wonderful glimpse of what the Bible has to say about this specific place in Scripture that is so powerful. Please, Father, please move me out of the way. Please do not allow me to get in the way of what you have to say to each, each individual here. There are some of us here, Father, that are, are desperately desiring to know you, but, but, but are not certain we can. What does it mean? There's others of us here, Father, that know you, and yet, yet like that, that young girl wrote in that letter to, at the camp that, that Rob read to us, that she wrestles. She's, one time she's good, another, another time she's not. How does she find all the answers to all of this? And there's other of us here, Father, that just want to serve you so much, we, we can taste it. We actually can taste the wonders of knowing you and serving you and loving you. Father, may we all come to a place today that we understand exactly what it is you're trying to say to each of us individually. And for that to take place, Father, there's no way that any speaker could do that. I, I don't propose to do that at all. 
And so I turn it over to you, Father. I just ask that you move me out of the way. And I ask what it says in the book of Psalms, the 119th chapter, that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, dear Father, as only you can. Move upon our hearts as only you can. And Father, may we be receptive to hear that still, silent, quiet voice within our heart of hearts as you talk and speak to us today. Bless us, please, dear Father. Bless us, please, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Immediately, we see the significance here. We saw in chapter 16, if you've been with us, you saw in the 17th verse, all of a sudden it is done. The wrath of God, no more. It's not, he's not going to pour it out on the earth anymore. Uh-uh. No, it's over with. And, and we, we should jump to chapter 19, where now all of a sudden it's hallelujah, the judgment of God has come. But no, God in his wisdom stops and explains to you and me where the deepest problem is. The, the harlot that, that is the spirit of Babylon, the very abomination of this earth. And so the spirit of, the spirit of this angel says to John in verse 1, Come, I want to show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality. The kings of the earth meaning the, the, leaders, the leaders of this world in which we live, as well as those who dwell on the earth, as it says in verse 2. And we learn from chapter 6 that those who dwell on the earth are those who are the unbelievers who, who martyred the believers at that time during the tribulation period. And the, and the believers come to be with the Lord, and they're, they're, they're at the altar of God, and they plead with God, How long, O oh Lord, will you, will you take to avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers who have martyred us? And God says, It'll be in time. It will be in time. Well, that time now is over with. And so it says in verse 2, the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality as well as those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her, the harlot's immorality. What in the world does that mean? Well, number one, we must read verse 15. I didn't get to verse 15 in the reading, but I want to throw it at you right now. Because verse 15 is important because we realize that this harlot, whatever that means, whoever that is, is not actual Sitting on water is not actual water, but people of the earth. Look at verse 15. The angel said to me, John writes, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, our multitudes, their nations, their tongues. In other words, they're the people of this earth. And the harlot will not merely influence them, but she will dominate them with her authority. The entire world is going to be committed to this harlot. And what it is, is false worship of false god, the Babylonian system. They're going to move away from the worship of the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who gave us the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came to live and to die upon the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. They are going to move away from any and all respect and worship of that one God. And so we need to teach the truth. It's important for you and me to know that when the Bible speaks of immorality, it is speaking of spiritual immorality. It's not talking about physical immorality. 
Spiritual immorality is when people fall into false teachings, fall away from the pure, wonderful teaching about the one pure God, true God, who reigns forever and ever. My hero in all of the scriptures as far as as, as human heroes is Paul. And Paul writes a statement that I, that I incorporate into my life hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's, it's, in, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. You might want to look at it. Listen to what Paul says. And I say, I say it to you and to me as a body of believers. Paul says, I am jealous for you. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He says, I betrothed you to one husband. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He says, I am jealous for you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I betrothed you to one husband, namely Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. In other words, not in love with any other gods or gods or, uh, or idols or anything of the like, but that you're pure, you're pure in your love for Jesus Christ. I presented you, he says, as a pure virgin to Jesus Christ. But he says in verse 3, I have some fear. He says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds will be led astray from the simplistic and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And I must say to you, I, I understand that. The best I know how. I understand verses 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because I too am jealous for you. Now, here at this church, you should feel secure. We don't try to teach you about a denomination. In fact, we aren't one. We don't try to teach you about the structures of a church. It's not that important. What we want to teach you about is the Word of God presenting to you the Son of God. Because He, in here, is written about Him. And in here is everything you need to know about your faith. And what we've done is we've tried to betroth you to one husband, Jesus Christ. And we want you to remain a pure virgin to Him in your love, not having other gods or other idols before you. And that you would be devoted, devoted simplistically, purely to Him. So Paul says, I'm jealous for that. The word used for immorality here is fornication because it is speaking about the heathen nations. But when it speaks to Israel... The immorality is called adultery. Both are, both are spiritual immorality. Both are, are, are rise up against God Almighty nonetheless. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 3, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, I, I just want to go over this with you. I'm not going to read it word for word. But God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She went up on every high hill and ever under every green tree and she became a harlot there. What was her harlotry? What did she do? 
He says, for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, she committed adultery with stones and with trees. In other words, she built idols to false gods. And God calls that immorality. He calls that idolatry. He calls that adultery. She, Israel, was a harlot there. The term for harlot is a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech for those who chase after false gods, false religions, false idolatry, for instance. The difference is Israel was wed to God. He is their husband, and therefore their spiritual immorality is adultery. But on the other hand, for the Gentile nations, for us, our immorality is a is fornication, but nonetheless, they both are committing spiritual immorality against God, following after false gods. The question that needs to be asked in chapter 17 and verse 5 then, and who and what is this mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, the abomination of the earth, that allows people to commit spiritual immorality. You need to know. I need to know. And so what I want you to do is to hold your place here in Revelation 17 and turn to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Turn with me to the 11th chapter, please. In the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis is when the people went off and they went to a place called Babylon. And there they built a tower to Babel, a tower of Babel. In those days, in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, they all spoke the same language. And so they are going to build this altar, so to speak, this temple. Watch. In chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, verse 1, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they were journeying east, they found a plain in the land of Sinhar, Sinar, and they settled there. Here's what they did. Verse 3. They said to one another, Come on, let's, let's make bricks. Let's burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. Verse 4 is the key. In verse 4 it says, They said to one another, Come, let us build, note, for ourselves a city, and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. In simplistic form, what happens here is God confuses their language and they all disperse. They go their own ways. What has taken place here in Babel was that mankind tried to reach up to God and to make for themselves a name. In other words, the tower of Babel that they were building was they were trying to make themselves like God to reach up into the heavens itself for themselves, much like Satan wanted to do. So this spirit of Babylon that we see back in the book of Revelation, what I would like for you to do now is turn to your left and find Genesis chapter 4. This is going to be really important. So this spirit of Babylon is mankind trying in and of themselves to become like God. Now let me just say a couple of things before we get to Genesis chapter 4. In, in the book of Revelation where we're reading right now, in the fifth chapter, the religious system, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth is ultimately all false religious beliefs making an attempt to usurp God and to become a God for themselves. 
much like Satan desired, every cult, every false religious belief system leans towards taking away from God God's plan for eternal life and inserting in their own way, whatever that might be. I mean, in our society today, the way we live, most people say, uh, you mean to say all I have to do is believe and trust in Jesus Christ and I will be saved? And the answer is yes. You, you trust and you give your faith to Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And, you, and they'll end up saying, I mean, I hear this all the time. You mean, I, I mean I, I've, I've got to do more. You mean I don't have to go to church all the time? I don't have to give away stuff? I don't have, what, you mean that's all I have to do is trust? That seems too easy. And all you have to do is say to them, fine, if it seems too easy, then just do it. Just ask him into your heart for the forgiveness of your sin. And most people want to, to make more of it than that. It's, it's hard for us as, as Americans to comprehend that that's all we have to do. And boom, we get everlasting life. It doesn't seem right. And so what we want to do then is to make for ourselves how we can be right with God on our terms, which is an abomination upon this earth. You see, an abomination is any self-righteous system that attempts to rob God of His glory. People, there is no other way to salvation apart from Jesus Christ. A person cannot feel that God is this way or that way or their way. No, it doesn't make you right with God. God has never given you or me the right to invent the way to come to Him. No, Jesus Christ did not stutter, did He? When He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, nobody comes to the Father but through me, said Jesus Christ. Now I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 4 for a very specific reason. Because it is here that, that this first abomination upon the earth, this first spirit of Babylon, this first harlot, is that harlotry? Would you say harlotry? Is that the right word? Becoming a harlot began. And it began through Cain. You remember the story, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. God comes to Adam and says, you can eat from all the trees in the garden you want. From the tree in the middle of the garden, I don't want you to eat. I don't want you to eat that tree. The day you eat that tree, you shall surely die. So, he must have told Eve, Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent, and he says to her, can you eat from all the trees in the garden? And she says, yep, every single one except for the one in the middle. The one in the middle we can't eat from. From the day we eat from that tree, we will die. And he looks at her and says, you surely shall not die. Because, he says, God knows in the day that you eat from that tree, you're going to become like him. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. And God forbid, he doesn't want you to become like him. So he tempted her. She ate of the, of the fruit, gave it to Adam. He ate, he ate of it. And God came and cast them out of the garden. And now we find them in chapter 4, living outside of there, cultivating the, their ground in which they lived. And while they were in the garden, just before the Lord kicked them out, they were wearing fig leaves and he gave them animal skins to wear. Why? Well, he sacrificed an animal, shed the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of their sins and then covered them with the skin of that animal. Now they're outside. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 1. In chapter 4, 
in verse 1, it said the man, Adam, had relations with his wife, Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. That's their firstborn. She said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. In other words, she is saying what God promised that was going to become a, a, a Messiah that was going to come. She thought, boom, I've got him. Now, they're going to have to wait quite a long, quite longer after that. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Now, you've got to think for a moment. It wasn't until after the flood that the Lord God allowed them to eat animals. Before the flood, everyone was a vegetarian. They ate no animals. After the flood, it was okay. So what is he doing? He's keeping the flock. What for? The flock was the way they sacrificed, shed the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of sin. He was caring for the spiritual needs of the family. His brother Cain, on the other hand, was a tiller of the ground. What was he doing? He was supplying food for the family. And so they both wanted to offer to God. Watch what it says. It came about, verse 3, in the course of time. Now that's a key verse because in the course of time means a specific place, a specific time to do a specific thing. And that was to offer unto God a sacrifice. Good to know because watch what happens. It came about, verse 3, in the course of time that Cain brought an offering, an offering, an offering unto the Lord, a sacrifice unto the Lord, of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and the fat portions thereof. In other words, he brought the Lord what he was supposed to bring, an animal, so that the animal might be sacrificed. So what does God say to Cain? Look in the middle of verse 3. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Then in verse 4, Abel on his part brought the first thing of the flock. I'm sorry, in the middle of verse 4. It says, the Lord had regard. In other words, he liked what Abel brought. He liked that Abel brought the offering. Why did he like it? Because it was what he told Abel and the family to bring. Now, look at the next verse. Verse 5. But for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. Why? Why? Think it through. Why? It's because he never told him to come that way. That was not a requisite for the sacrificial offering unto God for the sin of, of mankind. It wasn't by the fruit of the ground. And so for, for Abel, bringing an animal, he had regard God did. But for Cain, the fruit of the ground, he had no regard. In other words, he didn't want it, wouldn't accept it. With that, it says... In verse 5, Cain became very angry. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why have your countenance fallen? Verse 7, If you do well. In other words, if you do as I've told you to do, will not your countenance be lifted up? And then he says, Be careful, Cain. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. You better master it. And you know what happens. After that, Cain became so angry that he killed his brother. Killed his brother. The crux of this story is pure and simple. It is the very initiation. It is the very beginning of someone, mankind, trying to come to God their way instead of God's way. You and I do not have that right. And if we try to come to God that way, He will have no regard for our offering. It will be like a harlot. It will be like 
an abomination to the Lord. And so we see in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis a very clear description of the very first attempt to try to come to God our way instead of His prescribed way. Look at any other way to reach up to God other than the way He commanded is the spirit of Babylon. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 17. And God calls that way spiritual harlotry, immorality. In fact, he says it clearly in verse 5, it is the mother of harlots. It is an abomination to this earth. Now you'll note from verse 1 of chapter 17 that this harlot displays authority. How do we know? Because she sits on many waters. Just the idea that she is sitting there is a sign of rule, authority, influence. And as we saw from verse 15, many waters are the people on this earth, the nations, the tongues, the multitudes. And so we see then from verse 2 that kings commit acts of immorality with her. And the people who dwell on the earth, they were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. In other words, the laws that the kings set up on top and filtered down to the people, they became drunk with that immorality just as well. They were all doing acts of immorality. They were coming to God their way instead of God's way. In other words, from top to bottom, from kings to those who dwell on the earth, unbelievers. Everyone is following this harlot, this false religion into immorality, spiritual fornication, if you would, or adultery. Everyone is swept into the spirit of Babylon, this false religious belief system. And so in verse 3, we see that John is carried away in the spirit, and he sees this woman, this, this harlot, this false religion, sitting on a scarlet beast. She's full of blasphemous names and has seven heads and ten horns. We'll speak of that more when we get into next week's message. But for the time being, we see in verse 3, she is sitting upon a scarlet beast, meaning she has authority over this beast, who we find out is none other than the Antichrist. But soon, as we'll learn next week in verse 16, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to turn on her and destroy her. They're going to get rid of false religion. Right now, Satan is using false religion to draw people, to entice people to come to him. But soon it'll be over with. In verse 16, it says, The ten horns which you saw and the beast, they will end up hating the harlot. They will make her desolate. They will make her naked. They will eat of her flesh. They will burn her up with fire. But for now, Satan is using false religion to move people towards worshiping him. This, of course, is his ultimate goal. This, of course, is being done today as you and I live. There are churches open all over the place that are proclaiming to, to you anything but this. There are even some so-called Christian churches that are saying to the people, don't bring your Bibles. We don't want to offend the visitors who come. Oh, really? What about offending God? We are taught, we are told to teach the Word of God. We are told to tell you the truth so that you as an adult can make a decision on your own whether these things are true or not. 
But we are told that we are, you are to be taught so that you have a, a, a chance, a fighting chance to believe in the one true God. And so Satan wants to use false religions to lure people into this trap. To believe that they're doing, quote, spiritually good, when in fact he has no regard for what is being taught if it's not about his son, Jesus Christ, today in which we live. Be careful with where you worship. Be careful with whom you study the Bible with. Satan's trap is being set even today as you and I speak right here, right now. It could be blatant just like uh, uh, Satan worship or it, it could be subtle like a, a, a church denomination that bends God's truth so as to fit in to their traditions. Be careful of that. For you and for me, we need a church that studies the Word of God, places the emphasis upon the Bible, and upon God's Son, Jesus Christ, period. So pay, pay close attention to what you study. You see, we'll look at it. You can look at it on your own. In John chapter 6, verses 59 to 71, and in Luke chapter, what is it, uh, 18, verses 18 forward, speaks of two different times. In John chapter 6, Peter comes to the Lord and says, Your disciples, many of them are leaving. They're not following you anymore, Jesus. Because what you are saying is hard for them. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to, to take in. And what does Jesus say? Well, bring them back. I'll try to make it more palatable for them. No, he says, let them go. And then he looks at Peter and he says, What about you? Are you going to follow me? And what does Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have words of eternal life. Jesus never watered down his message so as to stop the disciples who were leaving from leaving. And in Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus Christ and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to, etern to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer his question right away, but asks him another question. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. Trying to figure out what is this guy trying to say. And so Jesus says, well, then you keep the commandments. He says, I have. I've loved my mother and my father. I've not committed any of I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, great. Then give all that you have to the poor and come on, follow me. I mean, you think after he said, I've done all these things, you know, I've done all the commandments, Jesus said, great, you're in. You're in, buddy, no problem. No, he doesn't water down the gospel. He says, no, then you give everything that you have to the poor, and come on, follow me. To which the young guy does what? Says, okay? No, does he? What does he do? He walks away. And what does Jesus do? He runs after him and says, I'm only kidding. You don't have to give all your money. Just part. How much do you want to give? Just follow me. I need a lot of numbers. No, Jesus lets him go. He lets him go. He doesn't water down the gospel so as to appease the hearer. No, he tells them the truth so that that rich young ruler could walk away and I don't know what happens, but maybe he mulls over the whole things that Jesus said and, and he realized in his heart of hearts he needed the Lord and came to him. You see, our Lord does not water down the gospel so as to make it palatable. He tells you as well as he tells me that two and two are four. 
Not three and a half or not five and a quarter. It's four. And then you and I need to deal with the truth. And when you and I deal with the truth and we come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ and we come on our own, it's real. And then our devotion to Jesus Christ will be pure. And we'll be like a pure virgin who's just in love with Him and Him alone. I'm jealous for you for that, with a godly jealousy. If you'll note in verse 4, this harlot is dressed to the max. It doesn't talk about anything inward. It talks about everything outward. Look, she is clothed in purple, scarlet. She is adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In her hand she has a gold cup that's full of abominations full of unclean things of her immorality. In other words, her false teaching. Let me tell you something. False belief. Most false religions are outwardly beautiful, but inwardly they're filthy before God. They're an abomination to this earth. People, Scripture cannot be more clear, to me at least, than, than what we've just saw in this 17th chapter concerning Babylon and and the mother of harlots and the abomination of this earth. We're to come to God His way, not our own. Any other way that anyone comes to God apart from Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord and Savior, is an abomination to Him and it is unclean. Our Lord calls it spiritual immorality. It is the spirit of Babylon, the mother of harlots. Never forget what Paul said. I'll try to remind you, maybe often, that he is jealous for us, Paul is. He betrothed us to one husband, Jesus Christ, so that he might, by the grace of an almighty God, present us as a pure virgin before God, that we be devoted to the simple and pure truth of Jesus Christ and he alone. When it says that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of our Lord Jesus, namely the blood is the blood of martyrs, those who died. In other words, she, the false religion had them killed, murdered in the great tribulation. Drunk suggests a continual state. It's not just one moment in time. It is a lifelong rejection of Jesus Christ. So what John says is he wondered greatly. Well, he doesn't have to wonder anymore. You mean either. We understand what these things mean now. The idea is what do we do with it? What do we do with this devotion that we have to Jesus Christ? How real is it to you? How real is your faith in your Savior today? I ask you a question. When you came to church this morning, how excited were you to come to church? You don't, you don't have to answer out loud or not or anything. Just last night when I was here, I, I told the people, I've got it over you by one way. And they said, well, how's that? And they didn't say that. And I said it. I said, because I get to come to church tomorrow and I get to be with people who love the Lord two more times this weekend. 
I look forward so much being with you. I look forward so much worshiping the Lord together with you. And I look forward to this time when you and I mature in our faith to a place where we become like a pure virgin to our Lord. Nothing else has captured our love. Nothing else has captured us away from our pure devotion to Jesus Christ. I realize that most of us are not there quite yet. We're fighting on that road just like that young girl that wrote that note to Rob. We struggle with our lives. It's part of why we need a Savior. It's part of why we have to have the sins forgiven. But it's my dream for you and for me that we become devoted to our Lord. That we are pure virgins in our love for Him. That there's nothing else that captures our heart. Nothing else that takes us away from that pure, simplistic devotion to Jesus Christ. Father, please, allow us to see how serious you are concerning faith. Allow us to see how serious you are concerning those who who are like harlots, who are immoral, an abomination upon this earth because they have tried like Cain to come to you their way instead of, as we all are to come to you, through your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the the only begotten of the Father, the one who is full of grace and full of truth, the one who wants to give each and every single one of us everlasting life. Yeah, John 3.16 is so true. For, for you loved us so much, Father, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever of us would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Like the church that was explained in the book of Revelation, Father. May we not be cold nor lukewarm. May we never ever lose our first love. May we be devoted to you, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. Thank you so much for being here today. I am very honored that you're here. I'll see you next week. God bless you.